Hello and welcome to Stuff We See 2023 edition. This is Jim. And now, here he is, back from the zone, the COVID zone. Deal. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? I know you were thinking that you were back from the Tarkovsky zone. Yeah, but no, it turns out I was not in the stalker zone. I was in the COVID zone. And uh, while I was there, while I was away in COVID land, I did not watch any Spielberg movies because I can't take any more of these movies. Oh, stop. I did actually do a rewatch, but it was a rewatch from the earlier programs. I, I rewatched 1941. Um, and that was a little horrific. Uh, boy, that, that didn't age well at all. It's uh, it's pretty racist. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, like, the J- Japanese jokes are, like, appalling. Really? Yeah, certainly by today's standards, but right. probably even <laughs> close to 1979 standards. It was pretty it was pretty bad. And I think it's just the nature of the jokes telling me that, you know, the screenwriters who were, who were white and the directors white did had no 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 worries or concerns with these jokes. Probably thinking, well, it's in keeping with 1941, which it might have been. Which it might have been. Yeah, I, I my wife started watching uh Raiders of the Lost Ark last night. She'd never seen it. No, she's but oh. not since she was a kid. Oh, okay. And so she was watching it because it relates to a book she was reading. Oh. And so I, I walked into the room a few times and I pointed out the uh, sort of colonialistic aspects of the uh, movies. And she uh, she had this moment of oh wow I had never thought about that before. Uh, and it's because, you know, she saw them when she was a kid. And so you don't really think critically about that stuff. And I I think, you know, of course that was when I saw 1941, the first time that was like my, you know, you don't really think, uh, and, and so you look at Raiders of the Lost Ark now and it's like, wow, that really, that's a product of its time in a way. Like, I don't think it's ill-intentioned. I don't think it's designed to be racist. We Americans stealing treasures from around the world <laughs> from indigenous. I mean, the opening scene of yeah. the movie, he, he's stealing a sacred relic from indigenous people who are costumed like uh, cliche natives from a racist Tintin comic. Like, but it was stolen back from a French guy. It was stolen back from a French guy. Yeah. So, but, you know, I mean, ultimately the Nazis are the bad guys. So they're on the right side in the history. But, <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's some problematic stuff in the movies that uh, I didn't necessarily pick up on in the 80s. Eh, it was the 30s. Hey, well, we are going to jump from the 30s to the late 90s. Saving Private Ryan, 1998. This yes. is where we were leaving off of a second installment of the Bill Boctagon. And this is. Uh, uh, Spielbachtagon 3 and the Crystal Skulls. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. The never-ending Spielbachtagon. I just feel like, you know, and there's a point. Well, this, okay, so after Private Ryan, let's talk about Private Ryan. Yeah, you're you're like, you're like talking about how, how, how we've got to stop doing these episodes, but we have to get to the episode in order to stop it. <laughs> we are in the Spielbachtagon for the final time, um, and we will finish somehow, some way. We will finish, yeah, because uh, there's a point for me. Uh, I don't. I don't know what. I don't. I don't know if it's that Spielberg took so much from the classics that you know he has a very classical style, but then I feel like he kind of got in a rut with that style, and then I feel like a lot of people started imitating his style, 
And so now his style is kind of indistinguishable from a, a TV movie. Interesting. And, and you know, he was at a sort of a crossroads. He, he wanted to tell a story, a World War II story. His father was in World War II. And, yeah. he wa- and his father was on D-Day, I believe. Yes. And he wanted to honor um, his father and those who served in uh, the war to yeah. really end all wars until the next one. But the Saving Private Ryan, you know, I was still... I don't know whether I was getting excited about Spielberg movies at this point anymore because the last couple just weren't really grabbing me. But I, I was excited, World War II. And then as it got closer to opening, because with most Spielberg movies, you don't know a lot about what's going to happen until it right. gets closer. You start hearing that, oh, that there's this movie's got stuff going on in it that you've never seen and that the yeah. D-Day invasion is, is something that you just have to see to believe and that he really... Um, went into a different filmmaking style in order to achieve what he wanted to achieve. And so I, I went opening night, a uh, huge crowd, uh, packed house, probably a four or 500 seat theater. And I was not quite prepared <laughs> for what yeah. was going to unfold in this D-Day invasion. Uh, and that's another thing too. 98 now is 25 years ago, Yeah, which, which is crazy. But at the time... Yeah, so people don't realize like how much the way war movies ha- changed. Right, because of this movie. And I would say even action movies, the way that yeah. you shoot action films um, and the way you would portray violence. And I think that's, you got to give kudos to Spielberg. His thought was every war movie he ever saw, you know, people get shot from a distance and they lay down and it's not really right. realistic. And he wanted people to understand that a war there's nothing really patriotic about it. Right. There's nothing glorious about it. Yeah. People yeah. people drown when they're on those landing crafts. People are shot to pieces. Most of these privates, all the training that they ever have is gone in a second. Right. And and there's no glory or bravery. It's just a meat grinder. Yeah. And you're just doing, in a sense, you're doing a job. Um, there's, you know, some uh, skill to it once you can get even to the position. <laughs> right. It, yeah. If you can get to the position, but so many of them don't. But yeah, that sequence, uh, how long is it? It's about 45 minutes? No, I don't. I, I mean, from the beginning of the movie, which doesn't start with D-Day. Um, right. Maybe it's like a half an hour. Who knows? But you really feel like you're on the, the beach. Um, yeah. The, there was a guy sitting next to me. And this guy couldn't practically take it. He was this young guy, and he was wincing and making noises and freaking out. It was really annoying the shit out of me. Right, <laughs> but, you, it, but. but you understand, like, yeah, that it's pretty visceral stuff. And I, th- yeah, so I saw this movie in the theater, and I was totally blown away by that opening sequence. And by the end of the movie, I was really disappointed. Oh, so already, I guess we're going to say that uh, Teal didn't love the movie. Um, <laughs> I loved it, but I don't like the word love. There's a there's a couple of problems I have with the film. I think it's actually as great a direction the movie has. There is a device that he uses that I thought was terrible because I feel like it betrays the audience. Yeah. And that's the opening where, you know, he goes in from the old man and then you go into uh, Tom Hanks waiting to to land and so you're given this impression that we're seeing the movie through 
Tom Hanks's right. eyes. And you are throughout most of the movie. And then at the end, something different happens. And I feel like it's a cheat because he was trying- It is a cheat. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to create a little bit of, I guess, a surprise or something. And it does bother me. It doesn't ruin the movie for me, but it doesn't work in my opinion. Yeah, what ruins the movie for me, and it's not that I don't like this movie, because I think it's a really good movie, but it ends up being the opposite of what that opening sequence wants to be. And it ends up really glorifying war and being, uh, in my opinion, really a pro-war film. I don't feel that at all. (laughs) Okay. I don't at all. I mean, yes, it ends with a big action scene. It is very intense. Yes, and it's about victory. Well, yeah, I mean, there is some victory, but I think it was also like the sort of end of the mission. But I think that there's one, if, if I'm going to go really into deep and try to get into your head, yeah. my my guess is that it's the last, it's that whole, I, I keep calling it the um, Lord of the Rings effect right. when those came up before where all is doomed, but then out of nowhere, the American planes come in yes. and save the day. Yes, yeah, I mean, ultimately, right, Spielberg never gets to high art. He does wrap it up into a Hollywood package. And that is my problem with this movie, is that it doesn't start that way, but it ends that way. But I also think it's about a lot of other things. Um, unlike other Spielberg movies, I mean, there is this thing about the regular guy. I mean, I think it is fascinating that Tom Hanks' character to his men is a mystery. right. But he is just a regular guy. And it reminds us that these people that were fighting, this was their job for a few years, but they had different lives, different backgrounds and experiences. Um, But they came together. They're fighting a uh, common enemy. And the things that are just amazing is the cinematography by Janusz Kaminski, who we do have problems with from time to time. But not in this movie. It's amazing. I mean, this bleached... Uh, process look yeah. that the film has and the techniques that are on display with the camera work in the opening scene and other parts too but it's yeah. just like stuff that he knew because he understood the techniques of cinema and a camera with the alternating shutter and other things yeah. we had not seen this in a movie in who knows how long you know it's funny by the time my oldest watched private ryan he yeah. had already seen the pacific and Band of Brothers, and those continue the style yes. of, of Private Ryan and all that violence and stuff. So he really wasn't um, he wasn't kind of shocked by Private Ryan yeah. the way I was when I saw it in 98. I'm not shocked now. But again, it's been so imitated by filmmakers yeah. that uh, it impacted immediately at the end of the year with Terrence Malick. Yes. The Thin Red Line, because if Private Ryan hadn't come out, people would have been going crazy for The Thin Red Line and its battle scenes. Its battle scenes were impactful, but they were more in the traditional style. Yes. And then it's one of those things by comparison, it didn't have the visceral excitement of Saving Private Ryan that came out five months before. Well, I mean, look at just the first 20 minutes of each film. Right. You know, the first 20 minutes of the Malick film is really, it's 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 kind of challenging. People are kind of like, when's this thing going to get going? Yeah. Um, that said, I've seen it more times than I've seen Private Ryan. I've probably seen them both the same amount of times. And my problem with The Thin Red Line, it's two thirds like a masterpiece. And the another third, it's just kind of a, 
a mess at the end because he didn't really know how to finish a movie because he recut it and maybe the longer cut would have made more sense. But there's clearly some plot gaps on mm-hmm. the way he cut. And that makes it a flawed movie for me, but it's still a movie that's like got a lot of good things in it. Yeah. So anyhow, Private Ryan, I think was like a high point for Spielberg. It, well, certainly creatively. Yeah. And then of course the big thing was that no matter what you think of this movie, I think you would agree that that's the movie that should have won best picture that year and not, not uh, Shakespeare in love. Yeah. Uh, that movie sucks. You know, it's funny. I saw Shakespeare in love uh, that December when it came out, yeah. uh, before it got nominated for anything. Yeah. And I thought it was a great movie. I enjoyed it, right? I thought it was funny. The crowd loved yeah. it, and it was good. But it was one of those that, yeah, I thought it was a good movie. And maybe it would have been on my top 10 that year. But, it, you know, it fades from memory the second you, you get out yeah. of theater. And then, of course, Harvey Weinstein. Yes. He organized its success in award season like uh, nobody's business. Yeah. And it really was pivoted as an alternative for those that just, you know, respected Private Ryan but didn't love it. Yeah, it's just so bizarre because nobody, uh, nobody mentions Shakespeare in Love anymore. No. It, the the only mention it ever gets is that it won over Private Ryan, and that's and all what, it ever should get, <laughs> and that's all it should ever get. Uh, but Private Ryan, people are still watching. Yep. So. We're going to move on because, yep, you know, we got on. a lot done. And the next one, 2001, interesting is it came out in the summer of 2001 yeah. before 9-11. And Spielberg took on a project that was of interest to Stanley Kubrick, who passed away in 99. And that was AI, artificial intelligence. Yes. So I went and saw that in the theater uh, with my mom's boyfriend and- it wasn't a very uh, packed audience, so it's only a yeah. few people in there. And I think I saw it opening weekend, and I was really left cold by this movie. There was something about it, the style of it, I just didn't hmm. like. I just couldn't warm up. Uh, Haley Joel Osment's character, I didn't really like. Um, and he's the main guy. Yeah, I thought it picked up a little bit when uh, Jude Law was in it. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was this whole scene was sort of at that junkyard thing. And they're all, yeah. like, that just kind of like, it kind of stopped the movie for me. Interesting. Then the finale where he's kind of down in the water for a long time. Right. I, get to, I kept getting caught up in how long would it have really taken him to go from Manhattan <laughs> to, to Coney Island. And I'm like, that just doesn't work for me. I know that sounds crazy. And then the, the cinematography by Janusz Kaminski, I didn't like in this film. Yeah. So I, I I didn't hate it, but I really just was disappointed and I've never wanted to watch it again. I, I, the music in it too, his, his relationship with his mom kind of figure in the movie, I didn't like. I mean, I just found this movie very cold. That is fascinating. I it, What I find interesting about this movie is that uh, at the very end, there's some like super advanced robots that find him. Yes. And uh, so many people thought they were aliens. I kind of did while I, while I was watching it. That like, oh, he was discovered at some point by aliens. And then it took me like, well, oh, well, wait, they are artificial intelligence. But I think it yes. shows that Spielberg didn't direct it well. That is exactly my point. Is If, if people are confused enough and thought those were aliens, uh, that, that's a real problem with the storytelling. But here's the reason why. Why, why, do, why do I think that people get confused, including myself? 
the design of them yes. looks a hell of a lot like his aliens in Close Encounters. Yes. Except for that they've got, like, obviously some kind of weird computer look to them. Their form is very similar. They're sort of these tall, skinny, yeah. So that's a mistake. <laughs> it's a mistake. Um, so wait a minute. So the question is, yeah. does Teal love it, like it, dislike it, or hate it? I don't think he hates yeah. it, but I don't know. I really don't know. So I'll just I'll say maybe you're going to surprise me and you like it. I don't like it. Oh, good. <laughs> so you don't, but do you hate it or do you just dislike I it? I don't hate it either. I I was really, I, I think I went in kind of wanting to hate it because I really thought it should have been a Kubrick film. I think that a lot of the problems you were just talking about would not have been problems, like that you don't like the main character, would not have been a problem in a Kubrick film. We don't know whether Kubrick would have made it. He had a lot of projects that he never did. But this was one that he'd been playing with for a while. But he certainly didn't make the, a movie that Kubrick would have made. He certainly did not. And so I was sitting in the theater sort of every shot in every scene imagining what Kubrick would have done. I was doing the same thing. <laughs> and realizing that this was just nowhere near the same level. And uh, so the whole thing was disappointing to me. I I just felt let down. I, I felt like Kubrick would have made a, a good film out of it and Spielberg made something that was okay. It was very artificial. Yes. <laughs> and oh. just... <laughs> And and the Robin Williams thing pisses me off to no end. I can't remember. Was he like a guy that like, it's like a booth that tells you? Yes. You, yeah, I didn't like Yeah, that. he's like the blue fairy or something. And it's just so out of place, like Robin Williams so frequently is. But just it, it was clear that it was Spielberg putting his friend in the movie and not really thinking big picture, I guess. But the movie just is a failure, in my opinion. But there are a lot of people that like it. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I. it seems like a weird movie to like. I mean. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was left me cold. And then I wasn't too excited that, like, he kept on going on this sci-fi thing. I wasn't excited about he, this movie coming out, the uh, Philip K. Dick, right? Uh, Minority Report. Yeah, and I love Philip K. Dick, and most of the movies suck, and I don't really care, uh, aside from Blade Runner, most of them suck, and I don't really care because I like Philip K. Dick so much, and uh, so that was the case for me going into this one. You know, so I saw the movie, and here I loved the Janusz Kaminski yes. look because he creates, and what Spielberg does, they create a very interesting world. Yeah. And so their imagining of the future is really kind of cool. Plus, Spielberg, whether he knew it or not, he really influenced a lot of things with the way um, sort of motion cap, haptack, yes. like hand swirling, moving things around. Who knew that was actually going to become a thing yeah. in reality for uh, a lot of things? And I think Cruise is good. And then for like, I guess the first two acts, it's a pretty engaging story. Yeah. And. Uh, there's an amazing piece where those little robots go into the room and he's oh, got yeah. the eye. I mean, there's just some amazing things in the movie. However, there's sort of a climax where you get to kind of figure out why Cruz was going to be, a, you know, right. was pegged by the precogs in the first place. And that whole sequence and how it unfolds is pretty amazing. But unfortunately, the movie continues. And <laughs> then... The I guess the big plot reveals and stuff, you could see it a mile away who the bad guy was. Right. And I felt it was really bad, and I felt like there should have been some reworking of the script a little bit because a lot of it who seemed Who wrote this movie? I 
don't know. But I mean, it took a movie that could have been brilliant and it kind of ruined it. So I mean, I kind of like it, but I kind of also don't like Minority Report. And I'm going to say that you also feel like you kind of like it, but also kind of don't like it. Yeah. And I think this was when I started to like have a different view of Spielberg. I think <laughs> a, I think AI was a turning point for me. But, and so I had very low expectations with Minority Report. And I felt like it was a good Hollywood action thriller. Nothing outstanding about it, but, you know, on the level of like a John McTiernan movie, a good one. Yeah. And you start wondering, like, what is it? Like, I guess as you, Spielberg, you're trying to figure out what's, what's with this guy like, when he picks his project. What interests yeah. him in doing this? I, I don't know, you know? Yeah, so some people say Minority Report is Spielberg's response to 9-11. That's no. And I just think that's not true. And, <laughs> but, uh, but basically, I still like the movie because Philip K. Dick is fun. Uh, Tom Cruise is fun and it's a fun kind of action movie, but it's nothing, uh, it's nothing great, right? It's, it's just a pretty good standard Hollywood action thriller. Some critics love it. They think it's amazing, but again, I thought it was just okay. And to keep us honest and on time, I mean, we might be getting, this might be a short episode. Ha ha ha. Good. Yeah. Let's keep it short because I don't have much to say about some of these. So this is another one of those things where Spielberg was like, I'm doing two movies this year. Yeah. And his big Christmas movie was Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio. And this, it's based on a really fascinating story, this guy. Yeah. And I had read the story before. I, I was familiar with it. Well, the Frank Abagnale guy, I've read his book. Yeah. And actually, I read his book because uh, years ago, <laughs> I used to work for Staples. Oh. And they would occasionally bring in guest speakers. And they brought in Frank Abagnale because he does now a lot of work for like cybersecurity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he did a talk and his talk was so fascinating and he was actually a really fun guy. Uh, now, I, I, I saw him like after, you know, right. a couple of years after Catch Me If You Can. But the what made me want to see Catch Me If You Can is it had an amazing movie trailer. Yes. A lot of energy. There's this uh, Bobby Darren version of, um, of of a song from uh, Funny Girl. And it just looked like, wow, this is like, you know, Spielberg. He's got the money to do the 60s. And it looks like a real. Yeah. And it's fun. And yeah. Yeah. It's fun romp. And the movie starts off with this amazing credit sequence that you just don't see in like a Spielberg movie, but it has that feel of like a 60s movie. Right. It has. And as a matter of fact, I think. Maybe Pablo Farah maybe did the credits, um, but it has great animation and it gives you all the style and fun and it's telling yeah. you this this movie is going to be kind of a gas and it has a great, great throwback sort of 60s, um, one of these big Hollywood production score from John Williams. Yeah. Uh, very original. I, I love that. And then the movie does not come off as advertised. It does not. <laughs> it's really cold and kind of depressing. <laughs> it really is a downer of a movie, right? It really is kind of a downer of a movie, yeah. And then the cinematography, to me, I thought, I thought at least from the trailers, I thought I was going to get something that was going to be evocative of, of those, the time. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to shoot this as if it was one of those Hollywood '60s movies, widescreen kind of technicolory, maybe very setty, but like I thought that was going to be a style. And it's not. And it's not. And then he's got his good old buddy, Tom Hanks, 
doing a really bad Boston accent. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I, I kind of liked the movie a little bit, but I really wanted to love it and I couldn't. So I kind of was on a like to dislike movie. Yeah. So where do you think I am on this one? I'm going to say you dislike it. I like it. You do like it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. And I've seen it before. I've seen it a couple times afterwards. So, but again, part of this is that I had very low expectations for Spielberg at this point. So it was like, Hey, the Christmas movie. Well, you know, I'm not expecting much last, last Spielberg movie was kind of a light, fun entertainment minority report. And I, and I found catch me if you can kind of charming and fun. Uh, I didn't like the cinematography. I like the story. Mostly. I like the character. So I found that interesting, but I thought it, it did not really evoke the period very well and was not, you know, it, it, it wasn't like a best picture kind of picture to me. No. And I think that's what happens is it gets marketed as like, this is going to be yeah. a big offering and DiCaprio and, and it wasn't. And sometimes I think that's bad when it gets released with the anticipation, yeah. whereas if it came out in the fall, maybe it would have been different. But I think it's the I think he was the wrong director for the movie. I think so too. Yeah, and so I, you know, I don't, I don't love the movie, and I, I, I would say I like it. Like if I, it's interesting because I've been sort of trying to figure out my ten uh, year old is now into PG thirteen action movies, and like she loves Tom Cruise, so I think we're going to watch Minority Report. But I don't think she'd really be into Catch Me If You Can. No, 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 absolutely not. And yeah, so anyhow, it's, you know, it's okay. Uh, I think like a lot of the movies on this list, it's kind of forgettable. I agree. So he doesn't make anything in 2003. He's probably like, well, I made two movies in 2002. What, yeah. what do you want from me? But he, but he comes roaring back. Roaring back. 2004. This is like the high mark. And I know this is one of your all-time favorite movies. Yeah. So it's just a recent watch for you. And now it's your favorite movie. I had not movie. seen it before. And I just saw it recently for the first time. Um, no, The Terminal, uh, again, reteams with Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks is going to throw himself an accent in this. And it's got uh -huh. uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and mm -hmm. ca a cast of fun-loving uh, criminals. Uh, you know, got Stanley Tucci in there. And yeah. Uh, probably some other people I'm not mentioning, uh, but uh, wait, matter of fact, is uh, is the girl from uh, Avatar in it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's terrible. The girl from Avatar, like I'm blanking her name, uh, Zaldana is in it. Z Zoe Zaldana. Yeah. yeah. So this movie, this one came out in the summertime. I ended up seeing it in at the drive-in. It was teamed up with some other movie and i this was the first spielberg movie in a really long time probably since always that i wasn't looking forward to whatsoever <laughs> i was like because i i just looked at him like well a comedy in spielberg maybe not one a day. great yeah, yeah i was worried and then so i mean when we talk about low expectations i had zero expectations going in yeah i really didn't even want to see it it just didn't look like something i wanted to see and so I started the drive-ins and I think because my expectations were so super low, I was like, well, I kind of enjoyed it. I liked it. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. I didn't find it great or, or and, and I certainly never wanted to ever see it a second time. Um, but I actually thought, I don't know, like Tom Hanks's character kind of won me over a little bit. Okay. I can see. Yeah. I mean, if he charms you, then, and Tom Hanks is charming. I remember very little of this movie. I remember that, you know, it's one of those where he, he he's living in the terminal and uh, he's trying to make people's lives better, right? Because they know him. It's that whole trope. Yeah. Um, 
So you were never interested enough to see it in the first place. Not at all. I, it just uh, it, it just did not appeal to me. You were not feeling like you had to be a Spielberg completionist. <laughs> Definitely not. At this point, I had kind of given up on Spielberg. And so I just, I didn't see it until, you know, a month ago. When we started uh, this whole journey. Yep. And I had to fill in some gaps. That was one of the gaps. <laughs> and uh, I, this one I know in advance. I yeah. know how you feel about this. And you hate this movie. You hate it. Uh, uh, more than hate it. <laughs> I, I, hating it is an understatement. That That's just, uh, I, I think this is one of the worst movies ever made. And I think you're being ridiculous. Uh, no, I honestly do. I think the worst movie ever made. I'm not the <laughs> worst. I think this is one of the worst movies ever made. I think it's an insult to anyone who's ever watched a movie. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I think it's aggressively bad. But why, though? Then you're going to have to explain yourself a little bit. Okay. Because, I mean, I don't think you're just joking for the show. I really think that you hate it that much, but I don't oh, understand I, I why. I hate it. You know you're in trouble when you're sitting there watching a movie and, you, and your thought is, Catherine Zeta-Jones is so much better than this. <laughs> But what do you don't like about it? I'm not sure. I know it's not your comedy is not your genre. Okay. First of all, uh, there's nothing funny in it. I don't recall it being funny. Yeah. So, okay. So not a comedy. Okay. <laughs> Tom Hanks character is so underwritten and so underdeveloped. He has no personality whatsoever. Uh, he has no goals. He has, he's just a like a funny cartoon of a foreign guy from a made-up country and they didn't want to insult anybody <laughs> yeah they didn't want to insult anyone and as a result they end up you know making something that feels totally disconnected from the real world i'm gonna program a trilogy at a revival house of the terminal <laughs> moscow and the hudson and barat <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but Barat is supposed to be, you know, know like, I'm just kidding. yeah. So his accent, I, I I know he based it on some uncle or something, but the accent is inconsistent. It's silly and cartoony. The whole movie is just a bunch of mugging for the camera and uh, really bad jokes that fall flat. Even even literally the Pratt falls uh, uh, aren't even funny. Uh, it's this same Janusz Kaminski uh, cinematography where everything glows and the camera just kind of floats around. There's not a single frame of this movie that is worth looking at. Wow. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to prolong the agony anymore. We can go to the next movie. <laughs> okay. I, I. I mean, I could go on and on. This. This is really one of the worst. Mo I mean, it was, it was such a painful experience trying to get through this. I'm worried that anybody out who has not seen the terminal is now going to watch it just because they're intrigued. But I don't think it's that bad because I feel like there's a much worse movie on his list, and it's the next one in 2005. And now I'm curious about who wrote these because I know who wrote the next one. And it's a writer that I've long hated. Okay, because I hated, I mean, I hated, hated, hated War of the Worlds, his remake. Yeah. I saw this at the drive-in. It was on a date with the girl I was dating that summer uh, before I ended up meeting my wife. And we had just, it, the, the double feature was weird, was um, the Wedding Crashers. Oh, that is a weird double feature. And then yeah. War of the Worlds was the main feature. And Wedding Crashers, okay. I had a ball watching at the drive-ins. And then this War of the Worlds movie, to me, it just, 
there was all kinds of things I didn't like about it. I just yeah. felt it was like a downer, kind of in a weird way. I found mean-spirited, super violent. Uh, and yeah. I just, for some reason, I didn't like Dakota Fanning in it. I kind of felt like I've seen this story a million times with the father and the kids yeah. and trying to get everybody back together. And then, to me, one of the worst parts of the whole movie was this uh, scene that had um tim robbins that had tim robbins in it oh it's so awful i hated and, it and it's not just a scene it's like it's like a, a chunk in the middle of the movie and not only that but then i feel like he he apes his own um great action sequence in jurassic park yes in war of the worlds and that's what i'm like wow you're doing like what uh, woody allen started doing later in his career you're just repeating yourself <laughs> <laughs> yes, just recycling ideas. And and all the camera movements, and, and this is really the point at which this happened, and then the reason I think Janos Kaminsky has been so bad for Spielberg is because at this point, watching a Spielberg movie, you know every single cut and camera movement. They're, they're so dialed in, and there's so little innovation going on and so little thought about he's basically just on autopilot and it's just like oh yep that's the spielberg shot oh yep okay just another cliche here and he's like become a cliche of himself but yet the movie was a smash monster smash monster smash and probably because of the ending which is you know which is terrible but not as bad as that tim robbins part I don't like that ending there with Boston. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Ugh. Because again, it takes something and just slaps a victory ending on it. Well, I also think that people people love watching aliens blow up shit. Yeah. So the movie, you know, he so he goes into his Spielberg kind of big, big action movie mode and people would always eat it up. And yeah. at this point, I feel like he was really on autopilot and then there was nothing I liked about it. But it was his response to 9-11. Is that it? <laughs> Stop. Um, actually, maybe more his response to 9-11 came later that year in 2005. <laughs> so in the, in, in the documentary about Spielberg, they keep saying, well, this was really his response to 9-11. No, this was. I think Catch Me If You Can was his response to 9-11. Yeah. This is where they try to make Spielberg more than he is, which you kind yes. of reveals that you don't feel like he's got much going on. Now, uh, Munich yeah. Right? This is kind of the footing where when he does these stories, Spielberg's interested in something else than just telling a regular like story about the, I don't know, what, what was the, I, I always call him the Sword of Gideon. There was actually a movie right, in the yeah. 80s on HBO that was pretty much the same movie uh, that yeah. I loved as a kid called Sword of Gideon, but um, it was Mossad's response. Yeah to the Munich assassinations at the games. And here, this is a movie, I, unabashedly, I love this movie. Um, I, I loved it, even though I have a few problems with it towards the end. But I loved it because here, to me, the Janusz Kaminski cinematography works. Right. And because Spielberg always has the money for the budget, He's able to kind of, he recreates like Europe in the 70s. Right. And the music by John Williams, too, is very intense. Uh, becomes like this awesome spy movie, sort of in the vein of like um, 
not Three Days of the Condor, but uh, the movie I always really love when the guy's going to try to assassinate De Gaulle. Oh, uh, Day of the Jackal? Day of the Jackal. Yeah. Yes. Um, and of course, the people that are trying to stop the Jackal is Michael Lonsdale. And Michael yes. Lonsdale is in Munich, and he plays a very interesting character um, who helps sort of fund these, uh, getting the names of these various people right. that are up for assassination, but he doesn't care which side that he um, is selling the names to. And so I love this whole kind of spy movie aspect to the film, uh, meeting in cafes and you know yeah. working these details. I love that uh, that the Australian actor there. I'm so bad at names today. He was the guy from Shine there. Oh, Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush, right? Yeah, he plays. Yes, the he's great. Yeah, he Sandler. Now you know. Before I get into your response, it's fair notice that for some strange reason, <laughs> you hate the actor Eric Bana. Yes, and that's so. True. And so, unfairly, I think, you go in not liking this movie because of Eric Bana being in it. Um, I don't have a big... I don't think that necessarily he has to carry or not carry the movie. There's a lot of other things going on, so I don't have a problem with him. But it also has a kind of the star-making performance of um, Daniel Craig in the film. Cyril Hines in it, and he's really great um, as part of the uh, team. What I like about... It is that these guys who have to assassinate, they are all for Israel and, and honoring Mossad, but they're not really good at assassinations. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think that creates a lot of tension. I think what Spielberg does on the ability to build tension, he builds some amazing t- tension in here, but he also does what he did great in Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. He shows the like brutal aftermath of these assassinations and how violent they are and just what like a kind of a human cost. And then again, his point, whether you like the angle or not, and you think he's successful is he's making a point of what is the point of all this? These assassinations then have retaliatory measures. And at the end, there is no winning. And the really is sort of like war games. The best way is to not play because it doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. And I think that is perhaps the best part about this movie. Yeah. So I love it, but I don't think you like it. I think you dislike it. I am willing to, I realize that I have this Eric Banner problem. (laughs) The Eric Banner problem. So I'm willing to put that aside and I am going to, I haven't, but I'm, I'm going to rewatch and reevaluate this movie. I was hoping you had done that in this last No, I hadn't because I, 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 I got over Spielberg, but it, uh, I, I'm willing to give it another shot. The documentary about Spielberg got me interested in it. Uh, I didn't dislike it when I saw it. I just, uh, I think at this point I was just over Spielberg and, mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like he was he was directing on autopilot and it was just a matter of whether he had a good script or not. <laughs> and I mean, sure, when you're making two movies a year, you're just not as putting putting as much energy into the script. I'm sorry. So I think Munich is a good script. War of the Worlds, terrible script. Terminal, terrible script. But Spielberg, again, like in the documentary, they they talk about this scene uh, where they have the bomb in the apartment and the little girls in the oh, apartment. Super suspenseful. Incredible. Yeah, great filmmaking. Uh, and so Spielberg is clearly still capable of that. 
but it really does, I, I think, depend on the script. As a matter of fact, point. if you have to do a rewatch, rewatch that whole sequence. I mean, it's it's everything Spielberg does right. But it's also very yeah. manipulative because you're using this girl, but you're like incredible tension. But you have to watch the camera work. And I'm not just talking the lighting yes. that we sometimes do or don't like Kaminsky for. This whole sequence is a masterpiece of moving the camera. Yes. And it's really really incredible and also the music by john williams in this um but yeah. it seems like that and it's also the scene where he has to blow up the guy in the hotel room next to him yes it's incredible because he's having like a conversation with the guy and the guy seems like really nice and i think that's like the very interesting aspect is that the sides that we're seeing of all the people that we assassinate all seem like really nice people yeah yeah. Obviously, there's another side, but again, and you know what's funny? The one sequence that I thought was a little over the top and I didn't like, but I when I last watched Munich, I didn't mind it so much, was when that uh, they sort of betrayed the French guys who were giving them the names. Okay. Because they weren't supposed to be going after terror. Like, it wasn't supposed to be... The French guys didn't want to sell them information if it was tied to Israel. Right, right, right. And so as revenge for that, they put the opposers in the same safe house with them. Right. And I think when I first watched it, I kind of thought, oh, this is like an awful coincidence kind of thing. And it's it's a little obnoxious so they can have a yeah. conversation about their differences and just how much they are alike or not. But I realize re-watching it over, over the many times I've seen it is that it was the French guys did that as a message. Right. Saying that we work with everybody and you're going to do these things, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I think and going back to something I'd said on our first of the hundred Spielberg episodes, which <laughs> it's only been two others, which is that, you know, sometimes he doesn't deal well with ambiguities. And I think Munich does that more than a lot of his other films. And, and when I see movies like Munich, I feel like this is the Spielberg who I want to continue watching and seeing. Right. And then he, instead of just continuing without a building on it, he goes backwards. Not just backwards. <laughs> Not just backwards. I mean, back backwards in every sense of the word. I mean, just so far back. Like. I mean, is this the worst movie? I mean, it's definitely, it's not worse than The Terminal, but it's pretty bad. Oh, right. well, we're jumping here. So here's interesting is that I don't know what was going on with him in his like, you know, regular life. Here's a guy who steadily works, but then he doesn't make a movie for like three years, which is rare yeah. for him. And he comes back in 2008. And I have to say, I mean, tons of anticipation. He's going to do Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of yeah. the Crystal Skull. It's been 20 years pretty much since he did the last one. So, you know, the kid in me, the, teen, the person who grew up yeah. like where Indiana Jones was so important to me, I'm excited, right? Yeah. And I remember my wife and I, she was just about like a few weeks away from expecting our first kid. And we're in this theater. Actually, no, I'm sorry. She was like like, a, like about a month and a half away. But, okay. uh, you know, we go to this theater and I remember, you know, I can't believe it. I'm sitting here watching an Indiana Jones movie. This is going to be great. And I knew nothing about it. I knew I knew <laughs> absolutely nothing about what the story was. It was all wrapped. I didn't want to know. Like right. that was one of the things. I didn't want to be spoiled. So I wanted to go in as fresh as possible. And <laughs> so I watched this thing. And, you know, there's been so much said about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but the people, it, it, the, the, the end note on this movie was perfectly said by Matt Stone and Trey Parker in an episode of South Park <laughs> that they did where basically 
they felt that Steven Spielberg raped their childhood <laughs> yes. with this movie. And that's kind of how I felt. This movie was such a betrayal to the character, to the story, to everything I ever loved about the Indiana Jones movies. I walked out of that movie. I, I, it was one of those things where just like um, when they did the first prequel movie, The Force Awakens. Right. I kind of was so shocked at how bad it was that I kind of tricked myself into thinking, well, okay right <laughs> maybe it wasn't yeah. that bad i kind of enjoyed it that's how i kind of walked out of indian jones the crystal skull i was kind of like oh, okay yeah it wasn't as good as the other three but it wasn't that bad and then of course the cloud list and you're like that was a horrible movie i mean the, i mean again everybody the nuke the fridge thing as soon as that happened the movie was over for me yeah like i'm like i kept on thinking when's he gonna die from radiation exposure and it just goes downhill from there and then, well, and it's like, it was, there was just two, three things that which put a cloud through the whole movie. And then the second thing was Shia LaBeouf swinging through the trees yeah. with monkeys and Terrible. it looked like some fake weird thing. And yes. then the third part was the crystal skulls themselves. Yes. Um, and then there's two other parts. The the fourth part was that Janusz Kaminski was on record saying that he was going to try to like create the look of the others, but he didn't. He just did his own thing. Yeah, he didn't try at all. <laughs> he didn't. It looks nothing like the others. And then, um, okay, and then there's another thing I forgot too, is Kate Blanchett can do a lot of things. But this isn't one of them. But this isn't one of them. And then the last <laughs> part was Karen Allen. She hadn't acted in a long time. She yeah. looked like she was having fun that she's getting to make a movie again, but she did. She she wasn't very good in it. No, the movie, and, and this is just one of those things where I feel like Spielberg is just clueless, right? At this point in his career, he's like lucking into a good script like Munich every now and then. But basically, he's just on autopilot. And if he happens to get a good script, and it's basically been this way since Private Ryan. Well, like I said, Munich, I felt like he was doing something creatively different. Yeah. And he had his touches, and some of those bother me in the movie, and he can't get away from himself. But at least I was like, okay, he occasionally shows some life. Indiana yeah. Jones and Crystal Skull is like, whoa. And then, then he's two more years before he goes and does another movie. And he kind of has them at the same time come out. Yeah. Um, and that's one is the fact that the movie had been in production for such a long time and they just, the visuals took forever. Right. And that was The Adventures of Tintin. Yeah. In 2011. And, you know, what can I say about that? It's an animated movie. Yeah. And I know it's, it's weird, but you're like, you, you watch it and you're like, what was his involvement in it? You can't tell exactly what is it that he did in the movie I, as a director. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know exactly, um, but I do like the movie. For instance, I watched the Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah. And he didn't direct it, right? But when you watch this movie, it's unmistakably his stamp. You right, feel right. you feel the filmmaker within that whole process. And you don't with Tintin. And you don't with Tintin, except there is this one absolutely stunning visual sequence. Yes. That's all in like one shot and they're in the yes. little car. And, and that's fun. But I will be honest with you. I'd have to rewatch the movie because I don't remember another thing in it. I've seen it a couple of times because my kids liked it. I took my oldest. It was a 3D movie. The two of us went. So it was his oh, okay. first 3D movie. And it was fun in 3D. I, I did have a fun time watching it. It, it's an enjoyable, fun movie. It's, again, not a masterpiece, but I 
I, I found it totally enjoyable. And I, part of that is just I like Tintin. You know, I grew up with Tintin. I remember you used to have the book, the the comics. Yes. I do remember. Oh, yeah. I totally read the comics as a kid. And so uh, it, it was a good adaptation for me, and I, I, I enjoyed it. You like Tintin, and you hated Crystal Skull. Yes. Great. See, look, I'm yeah. keeping us, we're, we're, like I said, by hook or by crook, we're getting through it. We're getting there. He also came out in 2011 with War Horse. And this yeah. was another movie, again, when I heard he was doing that project. I don't know what project I thought he should be doing, but when I heard it, I was like, he's doing that? Right. What? Why? I had I really didn't want to see it, but again, my devotion to Spielberg, I went to see it. And it's 2011. It's just about the time before all theaters started switching over to digital. You could still see something right. projected on film. I went and saw this thing projected on, on, on film, and I, I, I liked the movie. I did. I just... I've never desired to see it again. Yeah. It's not my kind of story. It's kind of like old Hazard, Balthazar kind of thing where, right. you know, you follow the horse through its adventures and good owners and bad owners and all that stuff. Of course, you know, there is a World War One component that always fascinates me. Yeah. And I like that. Um, and I like those parts I thought was interesting. What I did like, and I think we'll have a disagreement here, is I thought Janusz Kaminski's cinematography um, it had sort of a tech, it looked like a Technicolor John Ford movie in yeah. parts. And maybe it was because I saw on the big screen, I saw it projected. I was surprised. I thought I was going to get into the Kaminsky I hate, but I didn't. I liked the cinematography in this movie, but I couldn't really tell you much more about it other than if you're a completionist, watch it. If you like war <laughs> movies, watch it. But otherwise, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say you don't like it. I don't like it. We Did you see it in theater? No. And I think... I, that may have made a difference because I didn't like the cinematography. It looked uh, too digital to me. It looked, uh, a lot of it just looked artificial and not in the way that those Technicolor movies did. And yeah. so the, the, probably seeing it projected on film, it would look more like those. But It looked see, amazing. But you haven't re-seen it, right? I've seen parts on, on TV and certainly didn't like, it didn't look as amazing as it did in the theater. Yeah. Cause I watched it on TV and I was kind of like, I'm not crazy about the cinematography. I don't, I'm not into this type of story. I don't think you can appreciate the cinematography of a lot of films on TV, quite honestly, maybe now uh, yeah. with the bigger screens, but, uh, but yeah, the story itself, I just didn't, that's not a story I wanted to see. I'm just not that into the story and like, yeah, there's some cool war sequences, but they're nothing we haven't seen before. And so the whole movie feels just very expected. Okay. So now 2012. Yeah. All right. Lincoln. Lincoln. Big Christmas year. Um, this one was critically praised for yes. Spielberg. And it's got like an amazing performance by Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, yeah. you feel like he really is Lincoln. <laughs> I think that the script is interesting. I think that there may be, you know, again, I like what I like about it is it's not trying to tell like a biography of Lincoln. It's telling a very right. specific point in time. Yeah. There's a couple of parts I don't really care for, but I, I enjoy just getting to, getting to feel like I know this Lincoln guy. Yeah. Um, and the way he kind of, his the way he's being able to be political and, and kind of you know uses words to kind of change people's thoughts and things yes i also like the guys that are off trying to like build support 
you know, in Congress and stuff to yes. get this uh, legislature passed. And so I thought that was interesting. And again, I saw this projected. It's not something I saw on the small screen. Yeah. For whatever reason, the Kaminsky cinematography worked for me in this because okay. the textures of the lighting, the specific. And I think there were certain painters that he actually right. looked at. Um, and that, for whatever reason, there, you have to go with the, the Kaminsky glow, which yeah. is a little artificial. And in some movies, I guess, when it's a newer film, I forgive it more than when it's a period piece. Right. But I liked, I don't know why, but I. But, but again, I evaluate his cinematography on a film-by-film basis. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And on this one, I liked it. So I don't love Lincoln, but I like it. I love Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in it. And I think that without that, you don't have a movie. Um but I thought that Spielberg did a good job in this one. Um, I mean, again, it's not going for something that there's no deeper level there. It's not artistic-y. Uh, but I like it, and I will still say that you don't like it. I do like it. Oh, you do like it? I do like it. Okay. I don't love it. Uh, I think, like you, I love the Daniel Day-Lewis performance. I feel like the direction is pretty standard and straightforward and nothing really to write home about same with the cinematography but it's an interesting script and an interesting story and an incredible central performance that elevates the whole movie beyond what it would otherwise be which is basically a tv movie i think that he does make it a cinematic film yeah i i think so and i you know the the other thing is at at this point that he starts getting into movies like lincoln is spielberg is becoming more overtly political he says in this documentary about him he says uh i forget which film he's talking about maybe the post but he says you know when i making these films makes me sound kind of like a, a idealistic patriot and and then he says but, you know, I kind of am an idealistic patriot. And <laughs> so sort of the political angle on his films is America is great because of law and justice and equality, and that will always triumph. Well, I think I'll, I'll put a spin on that. I think yeah. that what he's saying is, is that Amer- when, when America is great yes, is when it's showing the best of its legal system. Exactly. He doesn't dive into the, the the many injustices within our legal system, which might be an interesting movie if he ever gets a chance to tackle that. Yeah, and it's but it's just interesting when you put Lincoln and say Amistad side by side by side. And it gets complicated when you have these movies about white guys being saviors. And of course, directed by a white guy. And so if he yeah. directed, you know, now I don't think he could make a movie where the black central character without looking like, well, why are you making it? Yeah. You know, so the next one, another three year gap, another three year gap. He's yeah. starting to not make movies always as much. And so again, when you don't have a movie for a while, you're like, what's he going to do next? Yeah. And then he does bridge of spies. Yeah. <laughs> and then he does bridge of spies, bridge of spies, which again, it was one of those things where in this case, the Kaminsky, <laughs> The Kaminsky method uh, doesn't work for me, <laughs> though. I guess I think that they're, they're going for a colder, like kind of a darker yes. palette because they're going over on, you know, the eastern side of the wall. Right. So that's got to be gray and brutalist. Yeah. And, um, you know, Tom Hanks, again, not my favorite performance. 
mm-hmm. it does have a great, and it's an Oscar-winning performance by Mark Rylance. Uh, yes. He's not really was known for more than like theater and maybe some small movies in, that no one had ever seen, but this was a great performance, and he got the Oscar for supporting. Uh, that's probably, I think, the best part of the movie is his character. Yeah. And I don't have a ton to say on it because it, I just thought... I, I was like, well, I like it, but I didn't see any any special reason why Spielberg made this movie. Yeah. I didn't think that he did anything tremendous to it. And then there's a couple of Spielbergian things that at this point, they kind of bug me because he it, it's like kind of a script thing where right. like I think um, Tom Hanks is trying to get away from a couple of these guys tailing him and he it orders that thing with the breakfast. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's a very Spielbergian yeah. thing. I, I did like the movie, and I just d- didn't think it was anything special. And I'm thinking that you disliked it. I, and I, I, I didn't. I couldn't get up enough enthusiasm to dislike it. <laughs> now, when did you see it? And, it? and originally, when it was not in the theater, but I saw it soon thereafter. Okay, and you didn't do a rewatch. And I didn't do a rewatch because I think the movie is just okay. Like, I, I, I didn't hate it when I saw it. I thought it was, you know, uh, uh, watchable. Maybe a little bit of interesting history stuff. I was not totally blown away by Mark Rylance. Or I, I just thought the I wasn't movie, blown away. I just thought he was really good in it. He's, he's good. But basically, I just thought the movie was, you know, decent. Um, but nothing nothing to make it stand out from any other Hollywood movie, adult drama, patriotic, naive, idealistic movie. This is where, because the Academy changed its rules and it started to allow more movies to be nominated for best picture. His movies like war horse was getting in. Yeah. No directed nomination there. Bridge of spies got in and I'm kind of like, Oh, it's just because it's Spielberg. They're, they're, you're giving it. Whereas Lincoln, I thought, you know, he got nominated for director for that. No, Lincoln, Lincoln, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, that was that. And a year later, he comes back. He's following it up again with another comes big roaring back. family type movie. Yeah, another Mike, Mark Rylance epic. And he found his guy. He wanted to tackle Roll Dolls BFG, which apparently is something he wanted to do for years and years. And I had, you know, my youngest, I was like, oh, this is like a kid's movie. I can take him to see yeah. it. And then it can't, but I wasn't very excited about it. I think I saw a trailer and I'm like, eh, I don't know. Maybe in, if I see it in the theater, it'll look more realistic. But yeah. they made a big deal talking about all these special effects. And I'm like, he doesn't look real. <laughs> um, At all. No, he just looks like a cartoon. Yeah. And I'm like, and but they're mixing it in with like a real person. And so it didn't, the, the critics weren't, I think they were like trying to be kind, right? Yeah. They, just, they were like, oh, it's not that good. So it didn't do well. It kind of bombed. So it was in and out of theaters pretty quick. So I never saw it. It did come out. I said, well, I guess I'll wait till it comes out on, you know, cable. And yeah. it came out and I watched like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And my youngest wasn't interested. And in 10 minutes, I'm like, ooh, this looks like it's going to be a hard sit. Yeah. So this was the one film out of all of these movies that I not only didn't see in the theater, but I hadn't seen. So for the Spielbachtagon. You had to. You had to step up and take one for the team. And so, you know, you have yours, you hate The Terminal. Yes. Out of all of the Spielberg movies, the one movie that I absolutely hate and don't find one single redeeming value in is the BFG. Worse than Crystal Skull. Worse than Crystal Skull, 
worse than Hook, worse than World of the Worlds, worse than The Terminal. This is by <laughs> far, there is just, I watch this movie and it is just apparent that the approach to the special effects does not work. And that's surprising to me because, you know, it's Spielberg, right, who had pushed the medium forward in terms of special effects and he thought would think would kind of have a handle on it. And then this movie, the effects are terrible. It's all digital, pretty much. I mean, it seems like it, it seems like it's all digital. It looks all digital and your brain can adjust to that in a digital animated movie. Yeah. And might think, oh, this is a crazy world. But then he made this decision to put a live actor, a, a little girl. Yeah. And the entire movie, and they had a certain way that they approached doing this that they thought would work really well to to kind of infuse a girl who's going to have to act against, I guess, yeah. nobody or whatever. And the entire movie looks like she's being directed off camera to look here, look up, down, yes. do this. And it's never, it never ends. You know what it reminded me of is uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. I never liked movies like that when they mix cartoons with the people. Well, just, no, you know. but not just that. It's because, you know, there's tiny little people in that, right? Right. And they have to look at nothing, right? Well, not only that, they had to green screen them into everything. And it just, so I actually could not finish the BFG. You didn't finish it? No. I'm a loser. I made it uh, over an hour. It gets gets worse. And then there's this whole thing when they go visit the queen and there's a little bit more live action there and it's horrible and nothing about it. It's just, it's just feels really, you're, you're struggling to watch this movie. It's horrible. And you just really feel like. You know, I met, I used this word earlier, but clueless. But I, when we were talking about Crystal Crystal Skull, but I feel like he just like something is not connecting for him. Like, and it, something is really wrong with him as a human being. That yeah. that he's making a movie like this and thinking that it's good. I mean, I, I this is my take is that at some point everybody knew that this isn't working and nobody would even tell him. And maybe he probably knew, but. I don't think this is something he'll ever want to talk about. Um, yeah. If he had made this, as, if this was the first film from this guy, it would have been his last film. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's no, just, it's just, it, it's ugh. just a travesty and they, and it lost a bunch of money. It was a bomb. The music from John Williams is uninspired. Nothing about this movie. I liked, I mean, I really disliked this movie. And I have to say, I, uh, this movie made me dislike Mark Rylance. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the guy. Guy, you know, hired is not the kind of thing that he would do. And the thing is, if it was all digital, then you would have had a freedom in the artistic way that you approached it. Well, then it could have been like the Tintin movie. Why not just do it like the Tintin movie? I know. And I also didn't like the screenplay for it. It wasn't very charming. You mean because there's no story? Yeah, but I mean, obviously, it's based on a little kid's book. Yeah, but that can charm in its own ways. And this movie has no charm. And that's really the problem. Like, I would forgive the effects and everything else if, uh, you know, if I was charmed by the central performance or in any way had, like, my childlike sense of wonder <laughs> inspired by this movie. I could have, I, I would forgive a lot of the problems if it had 
appealed to the, my inner child. It did not appeal to me in any way on any level about anything. It was just annoying and horrible and cruel. Well, if I have to forgive you for not finishing one Spielberg movie, this is yeah. the one that I forgive you for because it was hard for me to watch it. And I have to admit, I was looking at my phone half the time because I just, yeah. I just was like counting them. I'm like, when is this freaking thing over? And you know, you told me you'd give me a pass on it, and uh, <laughs> and, and I took that an hour into this movie. I was like, you know what? Thank you, James. It's I so awful. Yeah. All right. So, um, by comparison, the next movie is a masterpiece. <laughs> it's um, uh, 2017's The Post. Now, I was again, I was looking forward to it. I one of my all time favorite movies. I have seen it more than a dozen times. Is All the President's Men. Yeah. Right. I love these newspaper stories and 70s. I'm thinking the way he handled Munich. It's a different story about the Washington Post. Tom Hanks is playing Ben Bradley. You got Meryl Streep playing the owner of the Post. And it's about the fight for the, you know, right to publish the Pentagon Papers. Right. Yeah. And of course, now, you know, we were in the, the Trump administration uh you know spielberg when he finally wants to put a movie together he puts it together real fast and oh, gets yeah. it going and yeah i think he saw the assault on our uh, first amendment and you know wanted to do something so i was excited to watch it and the entire time I, the movie just didn't really get going for me and the thing that bothered me the most is that i'm very aware of what that period looked like. Oh yeah, I, I was ho- I was hoping you were going to go down this this route with this movie because if you weren't, I was. The biggest problem for me again when we talk about Janusz Kaminski is that I for I'm I'm embedded with the look of all the president's men from Gordon Willis. Yes, and it may seem very standard, right? Newsroom stuff, but like. The cinematography in that movie is, is amazing. amazing. It yeah. is it is how do you take a movie that's not like flashy, but you do certain things with the look and the lighting and you and you add to the story, but you also give it this really kind of gritty, realistic look. Yeah. And I'm like, you've got this as your reference for the Washington Post. So this movie should feel like that. I want to be yeah. transplanted back into the early 70s. I don't want it to feel like a bunch of people in wigs yeah. and it looks like something that's shot today. I know he shoots on film exclusively, so I'm like, this is going to be that movie. But instead, the movie just didn't look right. <laughs> it does not. It doesn't look like it should. Give me your guess for me so that we can, uh, so I can open up here. Okay, so hold on. So I, I, th- I mean... I don't know if you hate it. I think you do hate it, but you would you had not seen the whole movie. You would stop watching because yes. you didn't like it. I knew that. And I think I made you go back to rewatch it. So I know you've seen the whole thing. I've seen the whole thing. I rewatched it from the beginning. And I'm going to guess you hate it. I hate it. You hate it. I absolutely hate this movie. Okay. Why, though, do you hate it? Well, I didn't hate it. I mean, I sort of liked it, but I just... So in the second half, I started to get a little caught up in the cross-cutting and the tension a little bit until I looked back on it and realized that was just Spielberg doing some good uh, cinematic techniques to Well, I like tension. Bob Odenkirk's character in it. I love his character. There's so many good things in this movie, and I... Oh God! So okay, it's it, the part that the part that ruins it at the end is when the girl comes up to Meryl Streep's character. 
Oh, that is so awful. That's that, that's where he blows it, right? <laughs> but there's other moments too. There's like a scene where there's some hippies protesting. Oh, 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 oh. See, I haven't seen this movie since I saw it in the theater, but yeah. you just reminded me. That's, you, this is a pet peeve I have in period pieces and only bad directors do this. And this is what Spielberg never did before. And I yep. champion back to when I, when, when I watched the Sugarland Express and you watch like the scene where the crowd's kind of going by the, the car and stuff. It, yeah. it feels very documentary. It feels yeah. like they are kind of like this, like Robin Hood characters. When I watch crowd scenes in badly directed movies, they look like extras that are just there and they're like, okay, now raise your, raise your uh, signs up and down. And it looks really bad. And this scene the, the, had that. It didn't feel like real crowds. Oh, then there was, it felt like a cartoon of the sixties. It was, it was like, and I watched a little like making of featurette and they were like, yeah, well, we really dove into everything about the seventies to make this as authentic as possible. And I was like, well, you failed completely because at no point did I think this was the seventies. Nope, that was the the illusion was broken for me. Yeah, and, and through the whole thing, and so I just gave up on that. Then I know the Ellsberg story well, mm-hmm. and wondered why they weren't covering the interesting parts of the story. Yeah, it was a, it was like I, he had this idea, he rushed it in, but I don't think that it was that good a movie. And of course, it got nominated for Best Picture. They threw him a bone on that. I don't know why. And it's just not, a, I mean, it's just not a good movie. The performances, the script, it's all just really simplistic kind of, uh, it's this simplistic patriotic stuff about, yes, the, the the press must be free, but it's not even the right story to do that because it's basically just about this one woman's decision she makes one day on whether to publish something or not. And it's not even consequential because- uh, the New York Times would have published it two days later. And so it's not even a story worth telling. And the script constantly tells us what an important story this is. And there's nothing, it's a story of no consequence or import on this situation whatsoever. I think it's a misfire, um, but I but I sort of liked a little bit of it. But I mean, I'm really like middle of the road, um, but I don't hate it like you do. I know I hate it. I just, <laughs> yeah. And mostly because I, there were things that I kind of liked about it. And because of that, it made me hate it even more because I realized like, well, this, this actually could have been good and it just isn't. Believe it or not, we're going to make it, um, but we are we are over the hour now, so I'm going to move us along. That's okay. We're coming in fast. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so in 2018, uh, and this is a movie he had, he had working for a long time, and it was yeah. like, when's this thing ever going to come out? But it was the, it got bogged down in the effects, and it's uh, Ready Player One, uh, best-selling book. Yep. Um, again, I was kind of like, why is he picking this? I took the family. We went up north to Canada. They were showing it in 70 millimeter. Ooh. So that was cool. He hadn't done a movie that he had uh, had prints made in 70 millimeter in a really long time. So we went and I had a good time. I, I enjoyed it. I actually felt like it was like an 80s Spielberg movie. Yeah. And in, in, in the good sense, he wasn't trying to go for anything deep. No. He just made a film. There were some things I didn't like about the movie. I think that his love of Mark Rylance should have maybe ended with Bridge of Spies because I think that he <laughs> yeah. was the wrong actor for that role. If you know what I'm talking totally about. the wrong actor. Yeah. You know, but aside from that, I mean, I, it was, it was fun and my kids enjoyed it and, uh, you had a good time, but it really was inconsequential Spielberg. Yes. 
And so I'd say you like it, but nothing else than that. Pretty much. Yeah. And I, I like it. I've seen it with my kids a couple of times now. They like it because they're into video game type stuff. And so they think it's kind of fun on that level. Um, it's, you know, it's got some good action. Uh, it's a fun Hollywood entertainment that isn't trying to be much more than that. Yeah, I mean, there was something that I thought was very interesting and only Spielberg could have pulled off. In in the book, they have to go back into like a virtual um, of the War Games movie. Yeah. And they opted not for War Games, but they picked one of uh, Spielberg's absolute favorite movies, mm-hmm. and that's The Shining. But what Spielberg did here, which he, this is why, why didn't you do this in yeah. the post? He recreated The Shining scenes like you felt like he was back in the movie. Yeah. The, the look of it was really cool. And then it goes a little bit off the rails. It becomes a little video gamey. But like until then, I was like, yeah, this is fantastic. I don't know how they did that. Yeah. I find the movie pleasurable to watch it. The second viewing, I've had some script issues. Yeah. But again, it's it's not trying to be, you know, it's not a movie like The Post where it's insisting on its own importance. How can Kaminsky mirror the actual textural look yes. of The Shining, but then he can't go back and make the film look like a 70s film stock for The Post? He just seems very limited. It's like every movie is the same. And again, maybe he's limited by Spielberg. Maybe he's that. Because- I think they limit each other. <laughs> I'm serious. They, they're they not pushing each other. They're just like, hey, you're great. No, you're great. Okay, let's be great together. Now we come to almost the end in 2021, and it was supposed to be 2020, but we all know what happened in 2020. <laughs> COVID yeah. hit. Um, this to me, out of all of the films, maybe except for the BFG, was one of the biggest question mark puzzlers of why yes. is Spielberg was going to do a remake of West Side Story. Yeah. And I guess my thought was, well, A, he had never done a musical before. So like, again, what is it about West Side Story that he felt he had to remake? Yeah. Do you have an answer for that yet? <laughs> well, uh, so I go and see this thing. And I see it in the theater. I felt like, you yeah. know, no one was going to see movies in the theater then. And I, w- I wanted Especially to see this that movie on the big screen. I mean, I like, but I was like, I, I was kind of like, is West Side Story going to feel like it's that story? But it's like, not that it's set in the, in the present day, but it's going to feel like a movie from the present right. day. Or is it going to somehow have a look and a feel of like the 50, like what can Spielberg do there? Also, what will the score sound like? Is it going to sound like a modernized score of West Side Story? Like, how is that all going to work? So I went in and I was kind of shocked, quite honestly. I felt like that Spielberg visually found himself in a new territory for him or that the kind of way that he likes to move the camera and how yeah. he can figure out interaction and cross-cutting and stuff could work really well in a musical. Yeah. And I thought the colors, again, I saw on the big screen, I thought that uh, the cinematography really was like interesting. Like the colors and the the textures of the palette, yeah. the lighting. I was like, well, this, is, it, this really feels more like a musical that we don't see anymore because today's musicals are just terrible. And the choreography was really amazing. And then even though he changed, uh, with the screenwriter, changed some of the way the things unfold in the movie that I'm used to, some of it's more like how the, um, the musical actually went, not right. the movie, but the musical. And... There were some things that even though I might still like the way it was done in the original movie, 
I enjoyed seeing a fresh perspective. Um, like one of my favorite parts of the original West Side Story is the um, boy, boy, cool it, boy, and that's right, done. Right. That's done after the um, the murders that happen, right? And it's sort of like a scene where things can calm down a little bit, but it's an exciting, awesome uh, moment in a parking garage with really intense cinematography and, and choreography. Spielberg does something completely different with that song and the order, but it also makes it more interesting, even though I still love the the, the original. Right. I just was like, oh, well, you know, there's some really interesting approaches here. And so I liked the movie a lot. I mean, I really, really thought it was a, a stunning film, one of the best of, of 2021. I will still, though, say was it necessary? I don't know if it was necessary to make <laughs> right. that, and, he, and it cost the studio a lot of money. And it wasn't it like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, and I don't think even if COVID had never happened, whether it would have ever done that much. But I think it certainly would have done more. N- nobody thought I need to run out to see this movie. No, but the people did. I mean, people in the theater clearly had never even seen West Side Story yeah. in any shape or form. They were bawling their eyes out. People were stunned during the uh, the big, you know, knife fight there. Right. And you could hear gasps and stuff in the audience and y- younger people. And so it was really effective. And when I rewatched it on TV with my wife, who didn't, didn't go and see it with yeah. me, within the first 10 minutes, she's like, I didn't know that this was going to be that good. If I had known that, I would have come with you. <laughs> um, so she really thought it was fantastic. Because again, her question was like, well, why do I need to see a remake of West Side Story? Right. And so I don't know if you have to see a remake of West Side Story, but I think that as far as remakes go, it's pretty one. good. <laughs> so I know you didn't see it and you were just, you don't like musicals. Yeah. That's what you told me anyway. That's true. Not sure why, but you don't. And- so you weren't looking forward to seeing this, and I think you had watched a few minutes of it, and because yeah. you don't like musicals, you couldn't get into it. But I th- want to say that for this, you went back and watched the whole thing. I did. Okay. So I don't – this was a real – I'm going to be just as much of a mystery as to why he made it. <laughs> I'm going to leave this. You tell me what you thought because I can't predict a guess. Okay. So <laughs> – That's never good. When you go, okay, here we go. That's, here that's we go. when Teal's not in the positive side. <laughs> but I'm not wholly negative either. I oh think, my God. I think part of it is that everything you just said about this movie is like, why does it exist? Okay, I have that issue with it. Then I have the issue that I don't like musicals. Okay. But this is a classic. I, I know, and I realized after watching it that I don't even like the first one that much. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> And that's hard. I mean, like, look at certain genres. Like, I don't like anime. Right. And I know some people do, but I mean, I find it torture to watch it. And so I just, you know, I I think everything you're saying is right. Like, I liked the cinematography. I liked the changes that were made. I liked the performance. I liked everything about the movie, but I didn't like it. Wow. So, like, I can, I respect your opinion, and I think that you're right that it's a good movie, but it just didn't click for me. And I was just like, why won't this song end so that we can keep moving? And it just felt like it went on forever. That's funny, because people who don't like musicals, that's how they feel. They're like, when will this... That's what my dad was like. It's like, when are these songs going to stop? Yeah, and I mean, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of any musicals I actually like. 
outside of maybe uh, Wizard of Oz. Is that a musical? There are musical numbers, so I guess technically. And Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain, I like. But it took you years to watch it. <laughs> but it took me years to watch it, yeah. And I do like some Judy Garland movies. And I like, you know, Yankee Doodle Dandy with James Cagney. But for the most, you know, there, so there's maybe like less than five musicals that I can tolerate. All that jazz you like. Not really a musical. There's musical sequence, the whole ending. <laughs> well, yeah, the ending. Okay, no, then. Yeah, I, then and there's other things. That's a different type of music. Well, it's still a it's technically Okay, I'll, a I'll put that. Yeah, but basically. Cabaret? Yeah, cabaret I like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so it, it's not that I, it, it's it's just not my favorite genre. It's not like I automatically hate them, but it, it just, like, I know that the singing. So there's nothing Spielberg could do that's was going to turn you into, oh my God, what a masterpiece. It, it, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, there's nothing that, that would have done that because I'm just biased going in. But at the same time, I was like, well, if you're going to do a remake of West Side Story, I guess this is probably the best you can do. Well, I think that there's some visual amazing uh, pieces that he does. Yes, I agree. I, I thought the camera work was fantastic, and I, I thought the direction was great. I just, again, it just doesn't click for me because that's just my own personal I thing. I think the dance, when they go to the dance. Yes. That's amazing. Again, on the big screen, the colors were really fantastic. And I was just, again, taken with the visual look of this movie. I, I totally get that. I, I, I think it's one of Janos Kaminsky's better films in the last decade, definitely. Well, looking at the ones we just covered, it is absolutely, you're right, one of his best things. So, again, I think that it shows you, though, that... I think that Spielberg, it was a passion project for him. So he was invested and he really yeah. put time into it versus some of these others where he just knocked them off. And you wonder, well, why did you bother? And I do wonder that with something like Bridge of Spies or The Post, you know, why? Those are two movies that do, they just make me go, what, what was it about that you felt you had to tell these stories? Well, and that's really the thing. Like at this point in his career, should he be doing things like Fablemans, which he really cares about and is a passion project, or should he just be cranking out movies? And I think, you know, like at this point, just cranking out movies is kind of lame. At this point now, he's only going to, I mean, who knows how many movies he's got left. So we'll have to wait and see. And now, of course, yeah. at the end is where we began two episodes ago, is The Fablemans, which we already talked about. So I don't know if there's anything more to talk about. I, I don't think so, other than just, you know, wow, that's a lot of movies. I mean, I would like people to see it, and I think maybe more people are going to, because it did win uh, Best Picture and Director at the Golden Globes, which doesn't mean anything, it's the Golden Globes. Yeah. But he is definitely, uh, later today, the DGA announcements will come out, and he will most assuredly get nominated for best director and the pga awards will come out and he'll get nominated there and i'm sure he'll get nominated at the oscar so time. maybe some more people will see it it yeah i i have to say though overall i'm just tired of spielberg and, no but part of it is when you watch a bunch of his movies you realize how many of those techniques he's techniques he's using over and over again and just kind of recycling as you said sort of recycling some ideas and you know i it was uh oh the post the opening sequence of the post is ellsberg in vietnam yeah and the vietnam stuff is so lazy it's uh, unbelievable how lazy it is to me it's like here's just every cle there's even a credence song 
playing over it. You know what we? I know, I know what you're talking about. It's like every cliche, every cinematic cliche about the Vietnam War is in the first five minutes of the post. And it's so disappointing that, you know, after Private Ryan, where he's like, let's take a different viewpoint on war. And then you see this and it's like, he is just, he's not even on set. Well, you know what? At the end of the um, the movie is kind of the most revealing part is at the end of the movie, they cover the break-in of Watergate, and you already are going, this already looks more interesting yes. than the entire movie I just watched, and I kind of would like to just a remake of All the President's Men because <laughs> that already looked more interesting than the story I just saw. Or just do the Daniel Ellsberg story, right? Like, I mean, there, but also, the New York Times was where the story was on... Uh, <laughs> the Washington Post was so inconsequential. It's just not... It's just a nothing story. Yeah, whereas in All the President's Men, they're the ones that got the story. Yes. That Washington Post story had been taken, so they did this other one, and you got Hanks and Streep ready to go, so I guess you yeah, didn't go with the not? story that interests There's them. some really bad editing, too, in, in a couple of scenes, which are just like dialogue scenes with the two of them, and and Spielberg does some weird, like crosses the line where he usually doesn't, never does that. Uh, there's some really awkward editing of the performances again i think it's a movie that got rushed in to make it for oscars you know I mean, yeah and uh it's just a movie that kind of left me flat but uh here it is kids another hour and a half show but <laughs> but but we we come to a conclusion of the spiel octagon so I, I thank you all that have made the journey with us yes and thank you for uh bearing with me on my loves and hates yeah that's okay um you know i'm always going to have been the person who likes spielberg more but does that but i proven this episode i don't like all this stuff and some of it i hated um now before we go just reminding people in a couple of weeks oscar nominations come out and yep. uh barring incident which we never know uh the goal will be for us to tape later that morning and i give teal the rundown of all the nominees and he never pays attention to that ahead of time so yes i come in totally blind and you get to have my shock at how these terrible movies uh shakespeare in love once again nominated i don't know how weinstein did it from jail but somehow there's a lot of movies that are going to get nominated that i actually saw and liked um so i don't think i think there's a couple of question marks like right now for whatever reason elvis seems to be making the cut in these and i'm like what interesting (laughs) elvis was an okay movie but there was also some parts that are really bad about it and so it's weird that it's getting love at the end of the year from these big awards groups but i guess because it's a grown-up movie that made money it's Baz Luhrmann, and believe me, it, it within the opening frames of the movie, it's a Baz Luhrmann production. Oh, I know. I watched the first 10 minutes. Oh, you did? Yeah, and then my daughter said she couldn't handle it anymore, so I haven't gone back to it. Yeah, it, it takes a while to get its groove, and then there's yeah. a few parts, but uh, it keeps going. It spends too much time with crappy Tom Hanks. I mean, he's terrible. I mean, he if he doesn't get a Razzie this year, I'll be shocked. Yeah. But, uh, but anyways, uh, kids, thank you for uh, joining us in 2023. Teal's um, already had COVID. So hopefully that's done yeah, for just him. Just finished yesterday. I, I got it over the summer. And so uh, I was already free and clear from the show start. Um, but anyways, people, uh, take care. Go watch some stuff. Lots to see. And uh, we look forward to bringing you a whole bunch of good stuff in 2023. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.